friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. The beginning of Lent also seems to correspond every year or coincide with another beginning that most people or many people are very happy about, and that is spring training. It's a reminder to us that, oh, the the sports players, the baseball players have shown up uh, to begin getting ready for a new year. And it's an exciting time for baseball fans. And when players show up for spring training, they know, of course, during the offseason, they've been told not to let their bodies go to pot, that they should exercise regularly and keep themselves healthy. And some of them do that, but I'm sure there are many others who don't. And they get to spring training and they have to go back to the basics and start losing weight and getting ready again. And so spring training for them is about the basics. And for us too, Lent is about the basics, getting back to the beginning of things and looking at things with a fresh start. And the first thing we notice, of course, our Lenten journey, as we heard when we got our ashes the other day, was repent and believe in the gospel. The old days we used to say, turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. And we realize that Lent is a time where we turn away from sin and try to turn back to God. That's what our whole journey is about. And why is it necessary? Well, because you and I fall to sin frequently. Now, let's face it. Nobody sins deliberately. When was the last time you said to yourself, gee, I feel like sinning. What's a good sin I can commit? Well, of course not. We don't do that. We want to do what's right. Everything we're thinking, we're doing, we're trying to do is for our betterment and the betterment of people around us. Deep down, people would all say, you know, I'm a decent person. I'm trying to do what's right. And yet we discover that things we thought were right, in fact, turned out not to help us, but to hurt us. They only proved to be things that brought us away from God and did not form us in his image and likeness as we so desire to be because we realize it is only then, only when we're following what the Lord teaches, will we know the peace in the world. And the more we run away from God, the more we make things worse. And ultimately, we come to discover that all the sinful things that we followed that we did did not satisfy. They didn't bring us the peace. They didn't bring us the happiness they promised. They were all lies, and we fell for them. And now we realize only following God is where I find the peace that my heart desires. And so we go back to the basics and try to remind ourselves to live a life firmly rooted in Christ. And we're not alone. We're not, in fact, also the first people who have committed sin. In fact, it's been going on since original sin, since Adam and Eve, since the very beginning. And that's what we hear in our first reading today, the story of the fall of Adam and Eve into original sin. And we've heard this story many times before, but let's look at it a little more closely because there were little nuances in the story that we might have missed at first glance. And let's see what's really going on here. First of all, God created the Garden of Eden. We have another name for that garden, paradise. God created a perfect world. It was not God's will that we would have anything evil, that we would have any harm in this world. It was his will that we have a perfect world, that we have paradise. And he formed Adam and put him in the garden to cultivate and care for it. In other words, to improve and make everything perfect, to sustain everything God has given to us. 
And the man was lonely. It was not good for him to be alone. So he made all the animals and brought him to the man, but all the pets in the world don't satisfy that real longing in his heart of someone who fulfills him. And so he put him to sleep, took one of his ribs out, formed it into the woman, and brought her to the man. And he said to her, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Finally, he found his perfect soulmate, the one who completes him. And so a man and woman living together in the beauty and harmony of marriage in the perfect world that God created. And that's how he intended it to be. And in paradise, he told them, you may eat of all the trees of the fruit out there. We can just imagine all the beautiful, wonderful things that God gave to Adam and Eve. And he said, these are for you to enjoy. All of the pleasures, all the joys of this garden, I give them to you to enjoy in abundance. And there's only one thing you can't do. The only tree of which you are not to eat is the, free, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of that or even touch it or you will die. And that's a beautifully poetic way of the Lord saying, I have given everything to you for you to enjoy, provided you do things as I tell you to do. Don't try to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. Everything that is good is good because it comes from me, because it is an extension of me. I, who am all goodness itself, all beauty, all truth, all joy, I have made all this as a reflection of my goodness. And when you see things the way I have made them to be and follow them that way, you will share in my glory and all the beautiful things that I've given you will bring you into union with me. But I am God and you are not. Your mind is not the equivalent of mine. You don't know all things. Your heart is not all loving and all knowing. You can be deceived. We have free will, he was telling him basically, but the other end of the sword of free will, of choosing to love God, is that we could freely choose to disobey him. And he knew we wouldn't do it on our own. Who on our own power would say, no, I don't want to listen to God. I want to get rid of all of this wonderful things he's given us. But he knew the tempter was out there. He knew Satan would try to tempt Adam and Eve, and he could not stop him. He had to re respect their free will. But he's saying, if anybody tries to tell you that there's anything out there that contradicts what I tell you to disobey me, do not believe them. Listen to me and to me alone. Don't listen to any other voices. Don't listen to your head that if your head says it must be right, then it's obviously right, or your heart feels it, then it must be wrong. I am God and you are not. Follow me and everything will be fine. And everything was fine. Until, sure enough, Satan decided that he was going to get back at God by ruining the beautiful world that he had given to Adam and Eve. And so he decides to come up and tempt Eve. Now notice that Satan cannot force them to do anything. Flip Wilson's character, Geraldine, and the devil made me do it, if you remember that. Well, that's not true. The devil can't make us do anything. All he can do is tempt. And he came to Eve and he tempted her with this big, bold lie. Did God really not tell you not to eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? And Eve responds correctly. She says, no, God did not say that. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. We may enjoy it all. 
It's just not only the tree, the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil that we cannot eat or even touch that lest we die. In other words, God was not saying if it's good and you enjoy it, it must be sinful. No, all the things God has given us for joy, for enjoyment, we may indulge in, but not to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, because if we do that, we will die. And Satan says to her, no, you will not die. God knows very well that the minute you eat the fruit of the tree, you will know what is right from wrong. You will be like God yourself. You won't need to listen to him anymore. In effect, what Satan said to her is, God is lying to you. He's deceiving you. He's trying to tell you that you have to listen to him so that he'll keep you from harm. But what he's really doing is manipulating you, keeping his control over you. For he knows if you go out and try to decide on your own what's right and wrong, you'll discover that your mind is just as good as God's and you won't need him anymore. And this way he can't control you. He can't dominate you. And with him telling you that, then he can be the puppeteer just moving all the strings of the marionette. And this is his way of controlling you, of having dominion over you. But he knows, no, if you go out and follow your own will, then you won't need him anymore. You'll be just like God and he can't control you. And Eve buys it. And she basically says to him, well, thank you for telling me that. I thought all this time that God was telling me to follow him because he loved me. And now you're telling me the truth is that he's only trying to manipulate me so that this is his way of having control over me. Thank you for letting me in on the secret. She buys it and she eats the fruit of the tree and she gives it to Adam and he eats it. And with that, their eyes were opened. And with that, they saw they were just like God. And God, and now they knew everything just like him. And God sat there and said, dang, they're on to me. They've ruined everything. Now I can't manipulate and control them. Now they're perfect gods in their own, and I have no one to boss around. That's what happened? Not at all. No, with that, their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. Were they naked before? Sure, but it made no difference to them. They saw that they were naked, and the first thing they did was sew fig leaves together to make clothes for themselves. Now remember, this is a husband and wife. If anybody should be, if there's anybody before whom we should not be afraid to be seen naked, would be a spouse. And yet, even before their husband and wife, they saw their shame. They saw what they had done wrong, and so they had to clothe themselves. The first sign of division between a husband and wife. And when that happened with original sin, did Satan look and say, Oh, gee, I thought the men, if they ate the fruit of that tree and decided for themselves what was right and wrong, they'd be just like God, and they would not need him anymore. And now we find out, oh, they're just naked, and they don't have that power. Oh, well. How about that? I guess I was wrong. Well, of course not. He knew from the beginning it was a lie. And so when it happened, he squealed with delight. And I've always imagined that scene. See if you can picture it in your head. Adam and Eve being tempted by the devil. They take the fruit. They both eat it. With that, their eyes are open. And they realize they don't know everything, only that they're naked. And they realize 
What dupes we were. We were completely fooled. What a fool am I? How could I have fallen to this? We've ruined everything. And Satan, with the greatest glee, imagine any evil figure from any movie or cartoon or whatever it may be, with that most devilish of demonic laughter, beaming and bursting with all of that <laughs> of evil that you can just imagine. Uh, how he says, it's wonderful. Everything is banana. I've had my victory. You fell for it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> and poor Adam and Eve standing there saying, what fools we were. And that's the end of what we hear in the, God, the first reading today. But the rest of the story is significant. Let's look at what happens right after that. Now, Adam and Eve had sinned, and God comes looking for Adam. And he calls out to him, Adam, where are you? And he says, here I am, Lord. He goes, I heard you walking in the garden, but I hid myself because I was naked. Now, first of all, from whom do you hide? Do you hide from your best friend? Do you hide from the love of your life? No, you hide from an enemy. You hide from someone you know is trying to do you harm. Or you hide from somebody that you know is going to call you on the carpet and give you what for for what you did. So he was hiding there. And I heard you walking in the garden, but I hid myself because I was naked. The first sign of enmity between God and man. That man started to see God as his enemy, as somebody who was out to hurt him. And God says to him, who told you you were naked? You have eaten then the fruit of the tree of which I forbade you, didn't you? And how does Adam respond? He says, yes, Lord, I did. I know you told us not to do so. I should have listened to you, but I didn't. And you know, I listened to the serpent. I realize now how wrong I was. I take full responsibility for what I've done. And I'm sorry, please forgive me. Is that what he says? Oh, you're all shaking your heads. Good, you know better. Not in the least. How does he respond? That woman... A few verses before, she was bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That woman whom you put here, if you hadn't made her God, this wouldn't have happened. Passing the buck, blaming everybody but himself for his own sin. It was Eve's fault. It was God's fault. She made me eat the fruit of the tree. Did Eve walk up to him with the fruit and say, here, Adam, shove it in his mouth, close his mouth and say, Adam, eat? Of course not. He could have said to her, Eve, what have you done? God told us not to do that. And you have sinned, but I'm not following you in sin. I'm not going to commit the sin that you did. And instead, I'm going to pray to the Father to forgive you. That's what he should have done, but he didn't. He passed the buck. He blamed God and he blamed Eve. He did not take responsibility for his own actions. So God turns to Eve. Eve is not quite as devious when God asks her what happened. So he says, why did you do that? And she says, the serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. And she told the truth. Yes, the serpent did trick her into it. But she never says, I'm sorry, Lord. I know you told me not to do it, and I realize now it was wrong. Please forgive me. No, you notice neither Adam nor Eve apologizes to God. Neither one takes responsibility for what they did and said, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. She blames it on the serpent. So then the Lord turns to the serpent and he doesn't even ask him why he did it because he knows the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on to defend himself. That was a joke. <laughs> Delayed laughter, I guess, is better than no laughter. 
So from that point on, then come all of the evils and the curses into the world that are not because God was deliberately punishing them, but saying, now that you have allowed the devil in, this is what you have allowed him to do. And because of that, we have all of the natural disasters and the evils in our world, the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the floods and all the violent things that harm people and diseases, coronavirus, cancer, all the things we worry about are a result of original sin. And if Adam and Eve had sinned but repented and nobody had ever sinned again, well, we'd have the natural disasters, but nothing after that. But as we know, sin compounded upon sin. We hear Cain killed his brother Abel and all the other sins that happened after that that got to the point that God even regretted that he had ever made the world. And you and I have inherited that down to this day. Now, God came to save us by taking on flesh and dwelling in our world, by, and he, by suffering, dying, and rising from the dead. He freed us from our sins, but now he calls us to take part of that. And we're preparing for that at the end of our Lenten journey, as we enter into the Paschal mystery of the Holy Triduum, we will reflect upon what Jesus did to save us from that sin and then rejoice during our Easter season that we have been uh, forgiven. But in the meantime, during these 40 days of preparation, the first thing we do is acknowledge our sins. That's what we did on Ash Wednesday. We acknowledged, I am a sinner and I must return to the Lord. And so the first thing we do is look in our lives and see what are the sins I commit that have made it necessary for me to celebrate this Lent. What, I have to go back to the beginnings. This is my spring training. What do I have to do to improve? And then tailor a penance during these days that will help improve us. So the first thing to do is acknowledge the fact that we have sinned and none of us is exempt. We have all sinned. And if we don't think we've sinned, we're fooling ourselves. Every one of us has sin somewhere. Maybe not serious sin, but we all do have sin. So number one, acknowledge that sin and our need to repent and the fact that that sin did not bring us what we were looking for. We thought it would bring us happiness. We thought it would bring us joy, but it didn't. We, it was a lie. And every sin is a lie that keeps us from God, the only one who can give us true beauty, true peace. So that's the first thing to do. The second thing to do is to take responsibility for our sins ourselves. Unlike Adam and Eve, to say, Lord, I sinned and it's my own fault. I'm not blaming anyone else. Yes, the devil tempted me. Yes, it's true. And he's very crafty. And the devil knows how to make uh, temptations that will sound so good, even to sound like God would want us to do it, that it would be cruel of God to not let us do it. How often we'll hear people do something sinful and say, well, why would God have given me this desire and then not allowed me to fulfill it? That would be cruel of God. Or, you know, I want this so much. Why wouldn't God let me to do it? Why would he put this desire in my heart and then say, no, you can't do it? How often we hear people use that excuse. God made me this way. So if God made me this way, he wouldn't want me to say no to it. Such a common one that people even convince themselves that what they're following is actually God's will, when in fact it's completely the opposite. And they know the Lord teaches us through scripture, through the church, know that is sinful, but they listen to the devil saying, no, God would want you to do that. It would be cruel of God to not allow you to do it. And so many different ways we excuse things. 
We say that, well, we had a right to do it in this situation, or I couldn't stop myself. And in some situations, maybe we're right. We couldn't stop ourselves. We realized later we were just too weak. But other times we gave ourselves excuses. All right, yeah, I rolled down the window and I yelled obscenities at that person while I was driving, but that's because he cut me off. Okay, that may be an explanation as to why we sin, but it's not an excuse for sin. Let's face it. How many times do we just driving down the road and nothing's happening, just roll down the window and yell obscenities at somebody? Well, of course, we don't do that. If we did, there would be something seriously wrong with us. A lot of times we sin because somebody else did something first that caused us to sin and we responded. Well, he started it. You know, how many times do we hear that? He hit me first. How many times do we hear little children do that? Do we say, oh, well, all right, since he hit, hit you first, now it's okay for you to hit him? No, right away we tell them two wrongs don't make a right. Of course not. So, well, yeah, I yelled at my wife when I came home, but that's because my boss was, you know, really being difficult today and I just vented. Explanation, yes. Excuse, no. Okay, I had a difficult day in school. I got in trouble for something I didn't do and I got blamed for it all and I failed the test and so that's why I came home and I picked on my little sister. Explanation, yes. Excuse, no. So first, stop giving ourselves excuses for why we sin and say, it's no one's fault but my own that I didn't do what was right here. And if we can acknowledge that, especially if we even realize, Lord, I'm trying very hard to overcome these sins, but I keep finding it difficult and all of my best efforts to fight it are not helping. Help me, Lord. Now we're on the right track. Because now as we come and confess our sins before the Lord and we start to realize how he never loses patience with us and says, okay, you're trying your best, just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Never give yourself an excuse to sin. Never blame anybody else. Take responsibility for your own sins. Don't pass the buck and turn to me and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me. And if we can do that, then these days of Lent will be the constructive time they're meant to be. We will be asking the Lord to help us overcome our sins. And as we go through Lent, overcoming our sins, we'll be growing holier, we'll be growing happier, we'll be growing closer to the Lord. And as we finally approach Easter and we rejoice in the Holy Triduum and the price that Jesus paid for our sins, we will rejoice with great joy on Easter Sunday because we will have changed. We will have indeed repented of our sins and remained faithful to the gospel. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carrozza. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carrozza, please visit www.fathercarrozza.com.